chapter 24, verses 36 through 45. We'll be reading from the New International Version. Please follow along in your own Bibles or as the text is presented on the screens above. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they had seen a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see me. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as I have. When, you had, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Hello, everybody. And um, I want to give a good welcome to uh, especially those of you who are visiting and encourage you, if you don't have a faith community that you call your own, that this might be a place for you. Um, and if you say, well, you know, I, I don't know everything, and then my response to that is, well, neither do we. And you might say, well, I don't know if my, act- my actions are in line with what, you know, the Bible teaches, and well, you know, we don't always get it right either. And if you say, I don't believe, then, well, that's why we're here, then to convince uh, you that, that God loves you. So uh, there's nothing like a faith community that can help you get through life. Life is a long journey, and um, it's not easy. It's hard on people, so doing it together is a good thing. I want to I begin with a little reflection on my five-year-old self, and uh, I've said this before, but that I, I still consider my, my fifth year of life the pinnacle of my life. Uh, it's been done downhill from there. But uh, five years was great. There weren't many responsibilities. I actually did not go to kindergarten, and nothing against kindergarten, but I just didn't go there. And so I had, I had this freedom to roam the earth at five years old, and uh, I had a great time doing it. My first best friend was named Bobby. He lived down the street. Bobby and I uh, hit it off. We played together a lot. And one day he said, I've got a secret to tell you. And so I listened really, you know, listened in. And I think he had heard this from his parents. And the secret was that uh, there were uh, flying saucers that had apparently landed in some state. I think it was New Mexico. You know that? And um, that, oh yeah, and the government knows all about this. But don't tell anybody because they they don't want us to know that they know, and it was that kind of thing, conspiracy. So the first thing I did I did was go home and tell my parents about this because <laughs> I thought this was newsworthy, you know. If uh, and I, I told them that, and the and their response was, well, um, some people believe things that aren't real, and that was kind of a damper on that, you know, didn't kind of. I thought I had some real news to share. Uh, but implied in their answer was this idea that uh, it, we have to use our five senses that God has given us, those five senses that you all have, and that we have to use our minds as well. And that to be gullible will get you in trouble. So take all of that and think about the things that, that children 
uh, try to do as they try to sync up their imagination with reality. And you have this, this character at Christmas time, his name I won't mention, but he brings presents. And you have um, this, um, this rabbit that does things this time of year. And various other figures that kids have to navigate, whether they're real or not. And then you throw God in there and Jesus in there. And it's kind of confusing, is it not? I mean, am I the only one? Come on, give me something here. All right, I'll take it. Um, so the disciples, they're like us. They, they are in this place trying to figure things out, trying to sort it out, fact from fiction, and the, uh, the gullibility uh, index, you know, it's a little different for all of us, but who wants to be called gullible? And, you know, usually you get hurt when you believe something. And there's these rumors flying around that... Um, you know, unnamed sources and uh, unconfirmed reports of, of Jesus, who they saw confirmed dead on Friday, and people are saying he's really alive, and I saw him. And so what do you do with that? And that's what they have to sort out together uh, in, in a group, and that's where we pick up the story. Before we get into the story, I wanted to uh, give a couple of uh, points that help us hear it. One is uh, this phrase chronological snobbery. Okay, I think I w- I'm going to define it for you. It's a C.S. Lewis phrase, but many have used it since. Chronological snobbery is when we believe because we live in a more enlightened age where we have more education, uh, this, you know, science and, and technology and all these things that are there for us. We believe that previous ages aren't as smart as we are, and therefore we are chronologically on the on the scale of history, we are, you know, above, right? We're better than. And every age is guilty of this form. So if you go back to the 1500s, they believe that people who lived in the 1200s were not as smart. It's this bias that we all have. So, and of course, today, what do we have? We have Google. So we have Wikipedia. We have things like that, right? The, the final word. Well, um, just be so, to breathe some humility into our, our chronological snobbery, uh, there are some things that would uh, cause us to at least question that. And I'm just going to point out a couple here that in the 1950s, which is, you know, what is that, 60 years ago, 70 years ago, whatever that was, not that long ago in the terms of the human time span of history, uh, there were doctors on TV. I don't know if you guys know this. You can look it up. There were doctors on TV with white coats, they look like real doctors anyway, and they were arguing that you should smoke certain brands of cigarettes over and against others because they were better for your health. That's true. And we laugh, at least some of you laughed, the rest of you didn't get it, I guess, but uh, that was not that long ago. We also, in the, in the 20th century, there was a, uh, one of the great astrophysicists of the 20th century was Sir Fred Doyle at Cambridge University. Did lots of good stuff, won lots of awards, but he believed that uh, human uh, life began uh, as an uh, implant from other space, and it apparently came here through flying saucers, which makes my friend write about that whole theory after all. But we laugh about stuff like that now, but what will our children and grandchildren laugh about what we believe today? And every generation has their list. So chronological snobbery, we need to be careful to not uh, be too uh, quick with that when it comes to the disciples. They were actually a lot like us. If you read the gospel stories, they struggled with fear. They struggled with uh, pride. 
They struggled with things that you struggle with in your family, in your life. Uh, insecurities of all kinds. And uh, one, of the, one of the things I want to point out from history, this is like a little uh, piece of history that I'm absolutely certain about because I've done some research on it, and it is that the Bible doesn't indicate that there's any place where people in the Bible were expecting a resurrection the way we got it with Jesus. Not an ounce of expectation in that that in the first century historians or those who write about first century history or the Bible itself would confirm that uh, the the disciples and and those around in that culture, there was no worldview that allowed for a resurrection of a dead person. In other words, they weren't trying to convince themselves that Jesus was dead so that it could fit with their expectations. This was a total surprise, big surprise. They don't have any way to uh, process it. So therefore, they're meeting up to figure out, what do we do with this news that Jesus Christ is alive from the dead? It can't be true, but it must be something. And what what is it? So they doubt it, it says in the story. And the word doubt, I want to give you just a little bit of... uh, uh, what's, uh, filling in around that word because it's, it's not something that in churches is ever talked about positively but we need to distinguish between unbelief and doubt and if you have unbelief you have one mind and you know that something isn't true and I have a lot of unbelief towards certain things in life um, you know, I, I, I really, I, I guess I'd say UFOs. I'm not a big, uh, I hope I didn't spoil your uh, whatever, but that one, yeah. Uh, but I, I, there's things, you can't believe everything, right? You've got to sort it out. You've got to, you know, pick your, what you believe in. And doubt is when you have two minds on something. You believe sort of, but you sort of don't. And that's where the disciples were. They're hanging in suspension until they can sort it out. Doubt is that small town you drive through on the way to somewhere else. Hopefully. You don't want to stop there and live there. It's not a good place to be, but it is an important place to go through on the way to somewhere else, which hopefully is faith. And that's true from my story, my personal story. I will say that if I didn't have doubts in my life, I don't think I would have faith in my life. It caused me to question things, and those questions led me to a place of faith. So we want to be a church that can be okay with doubts. And uh, I was reading some research recently. This is for our youth pastor over here. It says that if the, the, the problem with uh, high school kids isn't that when it comes to their faith, it's not, the, it's not the doubts that they have, it's the silence that they get back when they ask the questions that indicate doubts. And parents need to not be silent, and, and adults need to not be silent when kids have real questions of, about faith. And they should not be shut down. They should be able to ask those questions. All right. Jesus comes into the room. And he gives a word that has huge... uh, Each of us would want this word. We would want to hear Jesus say this to us. And the word is translated peace, but in the Hebrew it is what? Shalom. Say it, say Shalom. Yeah, it's it's a deep word that... Uh, resonates and when it comes in through your ears it's meant to go through really through, I mean to, to feel it through your whole body that this it sort of reverberates down here in your gut and you feel like no, this is not just peace in terms of tranquility it's peace in terms of life and well-being and health and salvation and everything I want in life is found in that word shalom and so when you say that to somebody else you are wishing them life 
And Jesus brings that word into their presence. But they can't even hear the word because it's Jesus and he's dead. How, how's that? You know? So they were startled and they were frightened. They didn't know what to do. Who is this? Who could this be? And they conclude uh, wrongly that he's a ghost. And so Jesus has to work through that doubt with them. They, they think that Jesus is a ghost. And Jesus is very adamant about the fact that he is not a ghost. And so he asks the disciples to put their hands and touch what? The place where the nails went through his hands, which would still be somewhat of an open wound, you would think, after three days. And there would be some remnants of, of dried blood there. And for the squirmish, they may not want to touch, but they're looking at it with their five senses. They're figuring out, this must be Jesus. And, then, and it, his hands and his feet, his feet also received the nails on the cross. So how can this be? And um, they are still wondering if this is a ghost. That did not do it for them, believe it or not. Ghosts were part of first century popular culture. And in fact, we could say that throughout history, ghosts have been part of uh, cultures, many, many cultures throughout history. And, and until our own culture, when we had a movie called Ghostbusters, and now we don't do it, we don't, well, they're dealt with, right? We got the, no, but it, they really are. And, and if you think about our own age, we have all kinds of paranormal, uh, paranormal um, What's it? The X Files and da 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 da. Things that we're fascinated by that stuff. So it's not it's not just an ancient deal. But um, Jesus uh, is trying to convince them that he is not a ghost. Touch my wounds, he says. And then he says they're still not convinced. So he says, "Can you have anything to eat?" Which is kind of an odd request for a Messiah to ask. You got anything to eat around here? We have donuts, by the way, you know, and you know, they had fish. And they give him a piece of fish and he just eats. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm not a ghost. So he's, he's activating their five senses to see that he is a real person. But he died. This does not calculate to them. And so he, he does one more thing. But before, you, before I go there, I want to say how frustrating it is when you're trying to convince someone of something that's true, whether it's good news or bad news, you're just trying to get your, the message across. This is so true. And Jesus says in the text, he says, it's me, it's really me. Can't you guys see it's me? And they are, um, well, how, how can we be sure? You know, they're just, they're just kind of not there yet. So I have a little story about my sister and I. And my five-year-old self, roughly, I think it was in that same time period, uh, my sister and I, uh, we fought a lot. Does anybody know what sibling rivalry means? If you didn't know what chronological snobbery means, I think you know what this one means, all right? I don't have to define it. And we had a good dose of it, and we were always causing each other uh, pain. And, and uh, to this, I, we, we love each other today. So if you're a parent with small kids who have the same problem, there is hope. But uh, we would make each other cry and you know, go to mom and all that sort of thing. Well, on this one day, we were playing really well together. It stands out in my memory as that. That's probably the only day. But we were playing really well together on a swing set, and we got it going really, really high and fast or whatever, and the whole thing flipped over. And we both ended up in tears, crying. And we, where do you go to when you're upset at that age? You go to your mom, right? 
Well, mom figures out that we've been fighting again because we're crying, or, you know, and so she just she, she, uh, spanks us. Yeah, that's what people did back then. Um, she spanked us, and then as we, were, as we were being spanked, we were trying to convince her that we didn't hurt each other, that we had an accident together, and we were really playing nicely together, and we finally got the message through to her, and we made her feel guilty, which is a great thing when you can use that over time throughout the rest of her life. We would use that to our advantage. We got through, finally. Jesus is trying to get through to these guys that he really is alive. And so he pulls out one more uh, ace out of the deck. And it's, these guys, they were, they were Jewish. They knew the Hebrew scriptures. They knew what the Bible, the Old Testament said. And Jesus says that, he, or it says, the scripture says that he opened their minds to the things that related to the death and resurrection. That they had, it had always kind of been there, but they couldn't see it. And he opened their minds to it. And it's at that point that they believed. And they become this group, this uh, band of brothers and sisters who go about and they turn the world upside down is what the Bible says about that. So uh, they have a new definition of reality. Reality changed for them. I'm going to share a story and then uh, I'll follow it up with a couple of questions. But Johnny Erickson, you may not have ever heard of her, but she um, is roughly in her late 60s now. And when she was 19 years old, so say 50 years ago, she had an accident, a really bad accident, a, a diving accident. And she hit her head and she's been a quadriplegic in a wheelchair for the last 50 years. And she's had a, a, a wonderful life, she would say, during that time. But she's also had her ups and downs. And uh, I read recently where she was in a group at a banquet, and it was a Christian banquet, and the, the speaker, whoever it was, did this unusual thing where he had people at the end, everybody, he asked everybody there to get down on their knees and pray. And he, he joined them so that she was the only person in the room who was not on her knees praying. And as she took that in, she began to weep. And she says that she wept not out of self-pity, but out of the thought that one day she would be on her knees and that she would not only be on her knees, but that she would be dancing and jumping up and down. And that is the hope of the resurrection. Let it run through you. Take it in. Drink it. If you can believe that, if you can believe those people in your life whom you've lost, that they're alive with Christ today and that they are good. Take it in, believe it. That's at the core of this faith that we call Christianity. Now, if I, I know that that's, that story, if you can say, well, that, I feel bad for her. She had some bad luck. She's got, it's a nice thought. Maybe it helps her get through this life. If that's how you respond to it, okay. But maybe there's a new reality there and that she's right. And all I'm saying today is let that thought run through your mind because we will all come to a place where the question of the resurrection is very, very real for us and for our children and for those who we love. So, a question for you. Is there, just, this is just a real simple question, but can you pray a prayer which goes something like this, which is something that I actually did a long time ago when I was in my doubts <laughs> 
it was about six months before I came to faith, and I said, God, if you're there, would you make yourself real to me? It's a dangerous prayer, because he can do anything, but just pray that prayer with courage and see what happens. If you're real, make yourself real to me. And if you're closer to faith and you think, I really do want this for my self and for my family, I want this, I want this, then just pray a prayer something like this. God, I give everything I know about myself to everything I know about you in Jesus Christ. That's how you enter in. It's really simple. Either of those prayers, wherever you are, I encourage you to go there. And let's just do that right now. Take a little moment to pray. Oh God, um, you're the one who knows our hearts, sees our hearts. You can see all the doubts and all the faith, whatever's in there, you see it clearly. And I, I would just pray, God, that you would make yourself real to anybody who desires that for life. That you would make yourself real to them. And then for anyone who wants to make a new go at life with Christ in the center, to give everything they know about themselves, and that's not always pretty, but we're complicated. Everything we know about ourselves to everything we know about Jesus Christ, and we know by faith that he has risen from the dead, and we know that that has great importance for our lives. So God, come and do your work in our hearts, we pray, through Jesus Christ, who is risen from the dead. Amen.